Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good to see you all. Glad you're here. You weathered the Texas storm, I guess. It's kind of cold. We get that. Hopefully it's not going to sleet and ice over like, like two years ago. That was pretty rough. This is baby. This is, this is going to be all right. You, you can make it home. You're fine. Just don't drive like it's July, okay? Just slow down. Like, slow down, be, be mindful. I told my staff this morning, I said, hey, listen, if they were on vacation in the mountains, they'd be out in it. I'm not, I'm not going to feel sorry for them. Get them to church. They need to be in church. <laughs> so let's be, let's be in church. Uh, hey, um, I just wanted to say, too, uh, Ashley was talking about the marriage conference. I just want to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say this. Uh, wives, quit listening. Okay. You probably did already as moment as I started talking, but I know how it is. Ladies, I, I know the guys, guys, I know the ladies are saying, I wonder if he's going to sign us up for that marriage conference. I wonder if he's going to mention this. I wonder if he's going to talk about this at lunch. I wonder if he's going to bring it. I wonder if he would go. Let me just say, guys, this is what's happening in, in the minds of your wives. So, and if you're single and you're like, huh, I wonder how marriage is going to be, you better be here. <laughs> mm, you better be here. <laughs> it's going to be good. Uh, also, I want to remind you about 21 days of prayer. And if you have not, and would you please, please, please fill out one of these cards and put it in the little box that says 21 days of prayer near the cafe. There's a group of people, and we, it's a two-part. I want to invite you to come up at 7.30 from Monday through Friday and 10.30 on Saturday morning to pray, to be in prayer over anything, whatever it is. But this group comes up, and it's just random. Whoever wants to be here comes up and prays over the cards, prays over many things. There's topics each day. Praise over these cards, though, and that means they're praying over your needs. They're praying over what's on your heart, and unless you are Jesus and you are perfect, then you probably need to put something on one of these cards, because we all have something we need prayer for, correct or, or no? Because if, if, I would like for you to come up here if you do not need to put anything on this card. <laughs> I'm going to write something on this card right now, but seriously... This is a time where people are interceding for you out getting their minds off of themselves, which, which is very healthy for you to do in prayer, by the way. And it actually help you take you off of your mind and put other people's stuff on your mind to give back to God and say, God, I'm trusting you. To, to, I'm interceding and I'm trusting and I'm hoping that in some way or some form you will cause an interaction, an intersection with this issue and something that is ordained by you to bring a solution. That is, that is what interceding does. That's what prayer, prayer does. And I'm telling you right now, uh, don't leave 21 days of prayer complaining about something you came into 21 days of prayer with because you didn't fill out a card and you didn't start praying about it, okay? All right, I just want to be very straight, very straight with you. Cookies on the bottom shelf. All right, but also, if you are not, you'll see on the back of it, it says 21 days of prayer. Can we, do we have that 21 days of prayer? 21 days of prayer, text that to 94,000. You're like, I don't want that notification. Nope. Listen, you need prayer. Like, you need, <laughs> you need to be led in prayer. You, you probably need it. So text 24, uh, sorry, 20, 21 days of prayer to 94,000. And then, then you can select if you want to receive those notifications at 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. Because some of you wait till the end of the, your, your day to spend time with the Lord. That's okay. But some of us spend time with the Lord first thing in the morning, and we need that little jump start. And so... Join in with us, and let's be in united as a church for the many things that we're praying for. 
All right, so I am, we have started a new series last week called Pain to Purpose. Uh, pain to Purpose, and it feels like this, it feels like you're going through life, and life is a maze, and you never know how to get to the end of it, but there's something that God does in this journey of our pain, and through our pain, to lead us into His desired purpose, and every one of us has, has pain. And every one of us has a purpose or a destiny that God has designed us for in order to find. To find. And, and there's a, there, there, is a, there is a destiny inside of you. And there's a dream inside of you that is, that is prompting you and getting your attention. But unfortunately, not all of us are living out that destiny. And the only thing that is actually holding people from walking out the purpose that God has given them on their lives is their character. And so God is using the pain to shape character in order to prepare you for your purpose. He's using moments, he's using experiences, he's using the past, he's using the present, he's using even the pain of the struggle, the fear of the insecurity of what could be in the dream of the future to work you out of you so that he can conform you to him to prepare you for it to be able to carry the weight of the responsibility of that purpose. And so in and of ourselves, in our humanity, in our own strength, the God-given purpose that he has, done, has created us for would actually crush us because we have not gone through the process and the refining to be built up in him in order to understand that he is actually the one who sustains it anyway, and I'm just walking this life out. And I'll say it this way, oftentimes we're more focused on our pain than we are the purpose in which he's created us for. And so Joseph endured a lot of family pain. Joseph received a dream from God. He began to step into his purpose around 30 years old. And those tests continued from 17 into his 40s. And his, his purpose continued to develop from 30 into his 40s. About around 45, he was really flourishing in his purpose. But there was 10 very important tests that he had to pass. And in fact, we have to pass. And they actually cycle in our lives as God takes us from space to space and glory to glory. And 10, anytime you see it, is a test. Joseph had 10 character tests. The tithe is a test. Tithe means ten. The ten virgins were a test. Some of them were prepared. The others were just good enough. They went on their journey. And they began their journey for the Lord. And some had prepared with, with plenty of oil for their lamp. But some said, oh, I'll just take what I got. And many of us are being tested and we're choosing to live out this life of, it's good enough. But it's less than what God has designed you for. And in your quiet place, in the secret place, in your most innermost secrets and, and feelings and emotions, you're feeling that this is the tension of me settling for good enough. And so I want to ask you to ask yourself, what is it in my character that God is trying to work out for me to connect to my purpose? So last week we talked about the pride test, and I'm, I'm glad you came back. <laughs> and this week, this week we'll talk about the pit test. Anybody ever been in a pit? 
feel like your life just in a pit? Like, gosh, no matter what I do, it feels like uh, it's never going to get better. Pit. Why are these walls so tall? Why is there always a, a no everywhere I go? Why is there always still a shutdown? A pit. Well, in Genesis 37, 13, I'm going to read this. I'm going to comment a little bit. But it says this, and Israel said to Joseph. Now, remember, Israel is Jacob, the father of Joseph. Jacob wrestled with an angel of the Lord in the desert. He came out of that whole situation, changed. God, the angel gave him a name, Israel, and that's where we get the nation of Israel is through Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, sorry, Abraham is our father of faith. Jesus Christ went to the cross and bore the curse of the cross so that we would have access and receive all the blessings of Abraham. Not some. And this is the difference, again, for good enough and prepared for all that the Lord has for me. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's names changed to Israel. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, here I am. Then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with, your flock, well with the flocks and bring back word to me. Now listen, I don't think he was actually, you got to remember, Joseph was a tattletale. Remember last week when we talked about Joseph had already come, brought a bad report about his brothers back to daddy? And, and now here is daddy saying, oh, go, go back out to the brothers. Go, go check on them, see if, see if they're doing okay. I don't think Jacob was trying to get rid of him like, Man, you kids, you're wearing me down. You need to get out of this house. Like, go. I don't think it was that kind of go and sending. I think it was more Jacob was trying to use this moment to send Joseph for, to build a relationship. Now, remember, Joseph is the second youngest son. He's, Jacob is sending Joseph out to the older brothers. They know how to shepherd. They know how to work the fields. They know how to tend sheep. This is not a problem. They don't need to be checked on. Jacob is sending, Israel sending him out. I think, to build relationships. So, so he sent him out of the valley in Hebron, and, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the fields. Well, I think there's probably reason number one, he was in the pit. Here's this dreamer just wandering. But the father had sent him out on assignment, and instead of going on assignment, the one, he's just wandering around. You ever been sent out on an assignment by somebody or an employer and you end up just doing whatever you want to do rather than what you're asked to do? No, nobody, no, 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 no. Okay, let me talk to the employers. Employers, you ever sent us, uh, you ever sent an employee out to do a job and you gave them direct orders on what they're supposed to do and they end up doing something completely different or they're just wandering around collecting a paycheck? Well, it might be that their integrity was the first issue that Joseph had that ended him in the pit. Just maybe. And the man asked him, saying, what are you seeking? So he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are, where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here. And I heard them say, let us go to Dothan, not Alabama. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, when they saw him after afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired to kill him, to, inspired, inspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into 
some pit. And notice, remember, we're talking about the pit text. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. You ever been in that situation where it's like some, you feel like someone has done something so bad to you, it's almost like you blame them from you finding your purpose and walking in your, your destiny? Or, or is it, could it be that maybe God turned the heart of somebody? Because maybe you were wondering, and he moved them to do something in such a way because you were wandering away from your destiny and you didn't know the very hard and difficult and painful thing that he caused them to do or that they did would actually propel you towards your destiny. And here they are say, we shall see if he will, what will become of his dreams. Does that resonate with you? It will. But Reuben heard it and he had delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him, cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Well, that's pretty rough. I was watching a movie yesterday, I took my kids to see this movie called Migration. Anybody seen it? Kids seen it? You got kids? I'm like, oh God. My kids wanted to go see a movie. I said, there's nothing on this movie for kids. We looked, it's like, there's something on this movie for kids. And it's like, okay, we'll go tomorrow. So we went yesterday, and, and there we are, and I, I knew what time it started, and I told them they woke up at 7.30, it started at 11.30. I said, well, can we go to the movies? I said, no, it didn't start for five hours. Go play. Good, go. Felt like Jacob telling Joseph, get out of the house. And so finally at 11.30, I tell him, okay, it's time to get ready. It's time to go. So we go, we show up for the movie, and he goes, we're, we're, we're paying, and the guy goes, I think it's already started. I told him, I hope it has. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> so we get in. We get in about the part. It's starting to get settled in, you know. It's actually starting. And uh, there's a, it's about a family of Mallards. Uh, Father Mallard, Mallard Mama, Mama Mallard. Uh, baby, uh, older brother Mallard and a baby sister Mallard. And they live in this little pond and it's got beautiful trees around it and they're collecting leaves and, and they're getting ready for winter and they're putting mud on a tree because they're not going to fly south for winter because it's, it's too dangerous. There's too many, it's a journey, there's too many fears, there's too many things to face, too many life issues to confront. And dad has convinced everybody we're not going anywhere. That's why we don't fly south. We stay right here, this nice, nice little pond. Nobody comes and harms us. Well, a group of ducks came in from Jamaica or come, came from heading towards Jamaica and told them all, the kids all about Jamaica and the mom all about Jamaica and the kids are ready to go. A fight broke out because mom and the kids are ready to go south for the winter finally. And dad's like, no, no, we're not going to do it. We're, everything's fine. There's trouble out there. That night, daddy can't sleep because of the argument. He walks outside of his little hole in the tree and he's standing there and all of a sudden the ground's moving and he's, he's startled and he steps back and he realizes that's Uncle Dan, the other mallard. He's Uncle Dan just breathing in, in the symbolism. He's stuck in the mud, the, the uncle. And so he wakes him up. He kind of gets all the mud off of him and shakes. 
And they talk about this argument they had, and the uncle's like, no, you don't want to go anywhere. There's nothing wrong with this place. There's nothing but dangers out there. There's fear. There's a lot of things to fear. There's problems out there. You don't want to leave this pond. If you, don't leave, if, if you do, you won't be happy like I am. He's, he's bloated. He said, I must have floated away from my house. Can you give me a push back to my, to my den? And the, the, father's, the father duck is like, man. You can see it resonating. Is this what my future looks like if I stay in this pond? And the, and the uncle, Doug, he says, oh, yeah, everything's great here. You have all the food that you need. You'll always be happy if you stay here, and you'll be just like me, all alone. <laughs> Boy, that re- resonated even more with the father. His eyes got big. He turned around. He ran into that hole in the tree. He stuffed some raspberries in the kids', in the kids beaks and said, come on, kids. Come on. It's time to go. They were getting out of there. He realized, I don't want my future to look like that, staying in this hole. And so with the right motivation, you too can get out of the pit that you're in, that maybe you've said, well, I'm just comfortable and it's nice here. So let me give you three reflections to consider for how to get out of that pit that you're in. Number one is, how did I get there? How did I get here? How did I get here? What happened that got me here? And I don't mean in a shame and a guilt and a condemnation way. I mean in like a Psalm 139, a David 139, 23. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. One that says, if there's anything inside of me that does not reflect your will, your glory for, for, for me and for you, then please point it out and help to work on it. Let's work on this thing. That kind of search me. How did I get here? Lord, search me, see what's inside of me, in my character, in my attitude, my behaviors, in my decision-making that is keeping me from walking in the fullness of what you've designed me for. Joseph could have said, well, it's not my fault. I haven't done anything. I mean, I'm 17. They're older. They shouldn't be picking on me. It's all them. They're just jealous. They could have said, it's not not the way I present myself or, or, or talk about God. It's not that. It's not... It's not pride in me, it's envy in them. He could have said those things. Who, who knows? And often, and often do we say very similar words and have very similar thoughts in our heart. When we go through difficult times, well, it's, it's not my fault. It's because of them. It's because of that. It's because of this. It's because of then. It's everything else but me and my decisions. It's everything else but my heart. It's everything else but my attitude. It's everyone, it's, it's everyone else. They're the problem. And we live in a world that lacks personal accountability and responsibility. Who, who lacks the willingness to be directed, corrected, to be shaped. We get offended and anytime somebody tries to correct us, to help us, to hold us accountable, we connect that with pain, and we think they're the the villain. They're hurting me, and we victimize ourselves, and we remain victims all our lives choosing the pond. At some point, we've just got to decide to become accountable. And God is trying to use these moments to reshape and reform our hearts as we pursue him through the pain. 
And we live in a, sorry, it's, a, it's never what has been done to us that puts us in the pit as much as it is how we respond to what has happened that puts us in a pit. It's our reaction backwards. Life is going to happen. It's going to have a lot of pains. People are going to hurt. But it's about how we respond back to the situation that keeps us out or puts us into the pit. And God is not the author of your pain, but he does desire to form you through these pains to shape you the best that you can be under his guidance in and for the next season. He's using it. And some of you might belong in the Olympics because you've been running from a responsibility all of your lives. Is there a marathon, is there a marathon race for of running from responsibility? We've got plenty of, plenty of candidates. But if you find yourself in a pit, you may want to do some soul searching and say, Lord, how did I get here? What is it that you're working on? And then, Lord, how do we get out of here? And there are many pits in life. In verse 18, it says, now when they saw him afar off. Now, how did they see him coming? Likely because he was wearing that rainbow polka dot, super bright, probably with glitter tunic that he showed off everywhere that he went. That gift from his father that he probably, he probably got out of bed every night to go to the bathroom wearing his tunic. He probably got up every morning and go to breakfast wearing his tunic. He's probably out in the field going to tend sheep or check on his brothers in this colorful tunic. It's his gift. Probably, Joseph was showing off the gift from his father, which he was so proud of. And you and I are a lot more like Joseph than you may realize. Joseph, Joseph had his father's favor on him. You and I have our heavenly father's favor on us. Favor is just grace, and grace is favor. Joseph's father gave him a gift. Your heavenly father has given you a gift. But Joseph was proud of his gift he, and, and showed it off every chance he got. And God gives gifts to his people. God has given gifts to you. And unfortunately, many people use their gifts to bring attention to themselves. And a gift is never meant to bring attention to yourself. In fact, it's meant to bring attention to God and lead others to him. It's meant to be used in such a way that lifts people who otherwise wouldn't find Christ, find God, or find their gifting. It's used to elevate them in such, such a place where they become encouraged, where they become built up, where they begin to discover, develop, and deploy their gift that God has given them. But Joseph loved the attention of the gift, which is pride. And when our identity is a, as a son or a daughter we understand that what we do and what we get comes from God alone. And when we understand this, then we understand that we, it's not a, I have to serve others. I have to serve God. It's an, I get to serve others. It's an, I get to serve God. But when our identity is lost in our gift, we're offended when God tries to hold us accountable or people hold us responsible or people are trying to correct us. 
because our identity is in the wrong place. So the service, so it moves the heart from I have to to I get to and, it, and also to a place where it's okay if you have those things to say. I'm, not, I'm here to serve the Lord anyway. I don't like it. It's hurtful. But I'm here to serve the Lord and lead others to him. So why do we have, why do we, why do we show off our coat? This pride, this inferiority is what got Joseph in trouble and it's what gets us in trouble too. Hear, hear this, Joseph in his pride lost connection with his gift that came from his father. The father didn't take the gift away, but because of his character, because of his behaviors, he lost connection with this gift, this tunic, which was a gift. And many great leaders have lost their connection with their gift because of their poor character. Their poor decisions. If you felt disconnected from what God has given you in the past because of character issues or mishaps, let me just tell you, with a quick decision of being repentant and having a humble heart, not only will God restore that gift, but he will restore it a hundredfold. This is the heart of God to grace you and favor a humble heart, a repentant heart, not only with what it had, but with the abundance of what was designed to receive, all the blessings of Abraham. And Jacob likely kept his, his son's coat. But jo- we don't know that, but Joseph lost that connection. But Joseph became the second most wealthy man in all of the world. So most likely... Did Joseph not only have one coat, he most likely had hundreds of coats. He probably had the first walk-in closet. I mean, he probably had this thatch, this wood-built thatch clay room where he just walks in and probably had the first conveyor belt of coat hangers. Probably could do some or have, uh, you know, had somebody that would just turn and, and pull the little gear and the conveyor just, and the coat would just come to him. We don't know if Jacob kept the coat. We can only imagine that Jacob kept the coat because he was his beloved son. Joseph was, was Jacob's beloved son. To the point until he, one day he might see him. So it's likely that Joseph also got that coat. So I want you to know, though, if there's something that you feel like you've lost in life, with a humble heart and a repentant heart, God will restore that a hundredfold. But most importantly... What Joseph got was restoration back with his father. More important than a gift. More important than a coat. More important than anything. Joseph was restored back to his father. And, and you and I still have that same ability. That's the greatest gift is to be restored back to our heavenly father. And this is what Jesus came to do. Number one was how did I get here? And number two, what's God's perspective? What's God's perspective? And why, why do we ask this? Because every time something happens to you, who shows up? The accuser. Every time something happens, here comes the accuser of the brother, brethren, accusing you for doing something or not doing something, accusing others for doing something to you, accusing a situation or giving you a false detail on a scenario. The accuser of the brethren shows up every time to give you his truth 
a demonic truth in a place where there's misunderstanding, a lack of, com- lack of understanding, or just simple confusion. He's lo- he loves to fill out and narrate the story of whatever it is that you've gone through or have gone through. He will show up and begin to condemn you. And there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. See, conviction is very specific. Condemnation is general. Conviction says, hey, you did this. You did that. And that's why this is happening. But if you'll do this, there's a way out of this and a way over this. And you'll come out looking pretty good on the other side of this. That's conviction. Conviction challenges your heart to shape your heart. It confronts the issues of the heart, to, not to hurt you, but to shape you, to prepare you, to better you. Condemnation says, oh, you did this, you did that, you shouldn't have done this. How dare you do that? And because you did that, you'll never be able to do this. That's condemnation. That's the voice of condemnation. And there's a difference. We should look, listen and find the conviction. But God will never condemn you for anything. In fact, John 3.17 says this. It's right after, it's right after 3.16. One of the most famous verses in the Bible. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. This is good news. So anytime you hear that still small voice and you have that feeling of condemnation, that feeling of sense of, uh, I'm just going to run from this situation because nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I guess I'll go eat worms. Like, you, every time you have that feeling, that's condemnation. That's the voice of the enemy trying to give you direction to do something that's outside of the will of, of the Father. Because Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but through, that through the world, through, I'm sorry, through him, might, the world might be saved. Through Jesus, the world might be saved. This is, this is God's design, not to condemn. And many of us are living life, running from place to place, relationship to relationship, situation to situation, because in a time of conversation, condemnation comes in, and we grab that as truth rather than what the Holy Spirit is saying or what the real truth is in the situation. I know that sounds familiar. And Satan is the father of lies, and if he's talking, he's lying. And he is an accuser of the brethren. And let, but let me show you one of the most famous lies in this Joseph story. Genesis 37, 31 through 33 says, So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether this is your son's tunic or not? Come on. How many rainbow, butterfly, polka dot, colorful tunics are there out there? Jacob must not have been a sharp one. I mean, he already got deceived by, by his father-in-law. He married a wrong woman. The other woman, they had to marry his sister. And, then met, like, and he doesn't even, he's sitting there. Come on. 33. And he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him without doubt. Joseph is torn to pieces. Nobody said that. They didn't tell him that. But all of a sudden, because of the deep pain in the womb, because of the deep love that he had for his son Joseph and the longing and the missing, and here comes the arrival of this tunic with, with goat blood on it, he assumes... Satan begins to give him a false narrative of, hell, here's the real situation behind the story. Believe this. 
I know that resonates because sometimes it may be you're in a conversation with your, your spouse and boy, there's something said and there's something said and all of a sudden somebody hears something way off the wall that never even existed in the conversation and they start repeating and accusing you that you said that and all of a sudden you realize, no, that, that, that was never in this room of conversation unless it was spiritual. And the accuser comes in and says, oh, you know, he, he, he said this. Can you believe he just said that? Or can you believe she just said that about you? She'll never love you. She didn't love you enough. You're not, she's not good enough for you. And then we own that because we're hurt. Pain is wide open. And all of a sudden we're confused and we're, we're, we're lacking understanding. And, and we're like, yeah, that's right. I knew I shouldn't have married that one. It was the wrong one. We're unequally yoked. Yep. God probably has somebody better for me. I should have waited. I knew I should have waited. I knew I should have waited. I'm sitting there at the bed say I do, and I should have said I don't. And we run with that. Or you know what? Oh, you know what? You're, you're in debt. You're always going to be in debt. You're never going to have enough money anyway, so you might as well just go ahead and spend all your money anyway. Who cares about tithing and stewarding? Don't do that. Hmm? Or how about just simple self-worth? I'll never be good enough. I'll never be enough. I'm not enough. No, I can't do that. I can't do this. I'm not it. God didn't call me. No, he didn't chose me. Blah, 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 blah. Get over yourself. That's the accuser of the brethren. And we take that stuff and we run with it and we own it. And we live out our relationships with other people based on that lie that we call a truth. And we've made it, made it, we've made it a fortress in our souls, and it's a pit that we're living in, and we end up accusing others based on the voices that we're believing in our own heads, ruining our own finances, ruining our own marriages, ruining our own relationships, ruining our lives, and never getting out of the ponds that's so safe and comfortable, and there's no pains in here. Bloated. We come in, and we're bloated on the word. Got plenty of words. This is what we do. Satan does these things. And without a sound mind and a mature heart and a humble heart and one that knows the word, we'll believe that stuff, we'll eat it up, and we'll live it out. Number three is this. The purpose of every pit is to bring me closer to the Father. Okay, Lord, I'm in a pit. I can feel the pit. I understand this is a pit. And I understand that you also use these to draw me near to you. There's a, there's a wonderful reflection to consider whenever you feel like you're in a pit. By the way, what else can you do in a pit? Like, you can go in circles, and your life can be a cycle, and scenarios can look repetitive and the same, same thing over and over, and you end up wallowing out your little pit until it's a bigger pit and a bigger pit. In a bigger, by the time you're done, you're in the Grand Canyon, and it's so big, you don't realize you're in a pit. You think you're on top of the world, but why are the walls so tall? You've just trampled up and down, trampled up and down that, that pit. So one day, you say, Lord, maybe there's some things that I could do differently. Lord, what is it that you're trying to work out of me? And Lord, what is it you're wanting to do in my heart? You see, the little pits in life are some of the worst pits because when we're immature in the Lord and we get out of those pits, 
and it didn't cause a lot, take a lot of work, we think we got ourselves out of the pit. And we're like, oh, no, I'm good, God. I, I got myself out of this one. I'll get myself out of the next one. I'll depend on me. And then that big pit comes, and because of the little pits, we're deceived that we got ourselves out of the pit. Or somebody that God sent us to get us out of the pit to help us, we didn't resonate that God sent that person to assist us. So we don't give God the credit, we take the credit. And then the next pit, that's a bigger pit that we can't get ourselves out of, we're untrained to give God the glory, give a lean into Him, and let Him begin to do the work that He intended with the little pit. Amen, Pastor Nathan. Amen. I'm good. In reality, we need help in everything that we do because every breath comes from the Lord. In everything we're about to endeavor in, in everything we're about to launch in, in everything we're about to take on, we need to be so intimately buried and buried, bearing it in prayer and relationship and conversation with the Lord that I know that when we sang the Waymaker, even when you, you're, you're not, I don't see it, you're working, we know that because we know the character and the nature and testimony with God, but we also know testimony that we have made together with God through being dependent upon God, talking with God, communing with God, listening to God, and then doing the things that God sent us out to to do and not wondering. Oh, God told me to do this. Well, then why aren't you doing it? Oh, well, you know, because they. They who? The people that God gave you to strengthen you? That you, you're blaming, but really God's using them to work something out of you? Those people? He could have said, God, can you believe what these people have done to me? God, it's all them. Like that can't believe it how would how why would they do that why would you let them do this wallering in that pit wearing out the sidewall God you gave me the dream of the future and not them I know you're going to strike them down and teach them a lesson oh Lord I've heard people say don't make me call down call down heaven on you as if you could they weren't saying it to me. He probably thought about me, but they were saying it to me. I wonder if later he, he ever reflected and said, maybe partially I am responsible for this outcome. I wonder if he ever finally hit the wall enough and said, hmm, maybe there is something I can do differently. Maybe there are some decisions. Maybe there's some way, ways I can handle these relationships. Maybe there's a way I can handle my finances differently. God, what do you have to say? He's just waiting. He's waiting for those moments. Because he wants to help you through all of it. And not only does he want to help you, he wants to bless you through all of it. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. And according to how God works, I think when Joseph likely realized that his own actions played a large part in him ending up in the pit, God then moved Reuben's heart to say, wait a minute, let's not lay a hand on him, but let's just throw him in the pit. Because inter internally, inside of his heart, he wanted to come back and rescue Joseph. You see, Reuben should have been the most jealous. He should have been the one who hated Joseph the most because Reuben is the oldest child by culture. He's the one that's supposed to get the favor. But he was the oldest child by Leah and not by Rachel. And so when Jacob finally had a, a child, a son with Rachel, this was Joseph. Jacob loved him the most. 
So the, most, the person who should have hated them, the, him the most is the one that God turned his heart to say, I'll be the one who saves you. Can I tell you there's somebody in your life and there's people in your life, it might be your boss, it might be your pastor, it might be your leader, it might be anybody in life who, is, who you feel like is keeping you from X. And the reality is God has not turned their heart to, to assist you towards X because God is trying to use them to work something out of you. Because God moves the hearts of kings. And if something didn't write in your heart, he's not going to move the heart of the king that's set over you. I don't like that, Pastor. I bet you don't. But that's the test. And it's a result, the result is the pit. And so if we can identify him in a pit, it might be that God is testing my heart so he can get out of the pit and I can come out and change the environment that I'm in by changing the environment that I embrace. In Genesis 37, 22, it says, And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness. And do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to the Father. You know, Reuben, he was the firstborn, and Jesus was also the firstborn. And according to Colossians, he was the firstborn of many brethren who reached down and came to save you and I. He was the firstborn that took many pains, in fact, so that those who actually deserve the pains would never have to suffer those same pains. And not only that, that we would receive the fullness of the blessings of Abraham, spiritual blessings. And Joseph also is a shadow type of Jesus to come because Joseph was put in a pit. You know, Jesus, when he was arrested falsely before he goes to the cross, they put him in a pit. I've been in that pit. It's cold, it's dreary, it's nothingness, it's a pit. But who deserved to go to the pit? We do. We do. But, jo but Jesus took the pit so that we wouldn't have to. But yet, for some reason, some of us are unwilling to receive what Jesus did in the pit to the cross, and we would choose to stay in our own pit when Jesus says, I've delivered you from the pit. So I'm asking you, is what Jesus did on the cross enough for you to have motivation to get out of your pond and get out of your pit and start living the life that the Father has sent you to live? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because I'm telling you, it, there's nothing that bothers me more than someone wasting something so valuable and you are extremely valuable you know why you're so valuable because Jesus paid the ultimate price and he gets to decide the value of you and it is being wasted when it is not pursuing everything that God has designed you for he gets to be the one who defines he gets to be the one who decides and he should be the one who gets to say what it is in your heart that he's working on, what it's going to take to get out of the pit, and what he ultimately wants you to do in your life because he is your creator. So during this 21 days of prayer, pray with me real quick. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you chose every one of us, whether we know it or not right now, 
you chose us. And Lord, you're calling us out of the pit. And so for right now, Lord, and if you'll pray this with me, Lord, in this 21 days of prayer and fasting, what is it that you would have for me to fast? And Lord, what would you have me add in this time of fasting? Lord, would you wake me up when I feel too tired to pray? Would you put it in my heart to seek you? And Lord, would you search me? Would you know my heart? Would you kindly and lovingly convict me to shape me toward all that you've created me to be? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.